0: And today we're in week two of our series, Charism. And we're going to talk again about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what that entails. And uh, today we're going to maybe focus on some of the fears and whatnot in regard to that. Um, As as everyone was praying and singing this morning, it's, it's funny how God impresses on you. And normally when that happens in a church service, I don't get up here and go, thus saith the Lord God gets your attention to really draw you in so that you think I'm super holy. Normally, I just weave it into my speaking and preaching, and you're never the wiser. But sometimes, to make a point or to illustrate a point, I like to bring it out. And, and today, I was actually thinking about it while Tabitha was singing, uh, that that, and God was really impressing on me, that there are some folks that as you are experiencing and expressing more of God's presence, you are scared of what that would look like to other people And I believe God is telling us and speaking to us, don't worry about it. I already love you, accept you, approve of you just the way you are. There are some aspects about the character and nature of God when he fills your life. You're worried about how that expression is going to look. Don't worry about it. God loves you. That's all that matters. But people will accept you. Once they understand, once they understand that your expression of the gift is coming from a place of God-given directive. Now, that might seem like a mouthful, maybe that's not for you, but I really believe that is for somebody here today, because there's that that edge that we come to that says, okay, if I go any further, how are people really going to react to the new me? How are they going to react to who I am? And it really dovetails into what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to go chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. These are the... Uh, probably pinnacle chapters for Paul writing his dissertation on the gifts and how they appropriate to the body of Christ and how we should function. Uh, Just a review from last week as we break down these chapters, uh, chapter 12 is about the body of Christ, that it has multiple gifts, that we all operate a different gift set, but it also has positions, pastor, teacher, uh, someone maybe in the prophetic realm, But we have different teaching gifts, like teacher or apostle, pastor. On the flip side of that, we also have gifts like the speaking in tongues gift or interpretation of tongues or the gift of faith or the gift of healings. And all of these gifts work simultaneously. In fact, if you were in our men's Bible study uh, yesterday, we read through that chapter. We talked about the nuances of all of the gifts and how they work to some degree or another. And that Paul was creating a framework that said all of the gifts should work in tandem one with another so that we as as believers should be interdependent on each other. And then Paul in 13 goes into a poem. Now if you speak or read Koine Greek, which is a dead language, so I'd be really interested to hear how you speak it, but it's a completely dead language. People that say they speak Koine Greek, and this is how you should say things, they're guessing. Nobody really knows. But anyway, in, uh, in chapter 13, Paul creates a poem. And we don't know if Paul wrote this poem specifically for this time, or if this was something that was well-read amongst the early church. But what we do know is that it's one of the most brilliantly phrased poems in the New Testament, and likely throughout all of Scripture. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is not just the love chapter that you read at weddings, it's not just that you, uh, a, a phrase or a few verses that you read before the bride and the groom kiss and show off their nuptials. This is actually a very thought-out, well-written poem that Paul lays right in the middle. So we have the church, the body of Christ, and its functioning and and its and its fitting together and its interdependency. Then we have a poem on love, and then sandwiched at the end is the idea of the church at worship and how all of this should work out in chapter 14. This is the groundwork for what Paul is doing in creating a framework of the gifts of the Spirit. So anytime we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts that God has given us, the placements that he's put us in his church, we can't neglect the framework of what he's talking about. The the question that we have to ask ourselves, well, a few questions today, but why are we not using the gifts in our everyday life? So if we have the framework lined out, we have the body of Christ that everyone has a place and a position in our local body, in our local community. God's called you to do something. He's given you hands to work out the gospel, and then he's gifted you like nobody else. He's given you a gift that you can excel in, that you can use as part of an interdependent nature amongst the, bo- amongst the body, and then he moves into love. The love should be your center motivator, and that he teaches how we should use these gifts in the church church at worship, the question is, why aren't some of us engaging in these activities? Why aren't some of us claiming our stake and saying, this is who I am. This is how God has gifted me. Now, you might think as a pastor on Sunday morning, this is what I get paid to do. Far from it. This is my reasonable work or action of service for the church. This is where God has gifted my life He's made me a stinking nerd, a Bible nerd, that I want to open up the scriptures and look through the lexicons and the interlinears and pull out the nuances of what God is saying, that I want to go to the original languages and dig deep. Some of you don't have that bone in your body. If you read John 3.16 every day for the next year, you'd be a champion Bible reader. And that's good. That's a good place to be. For some of us, we have to just go deeper because it's a gift that God's put on our heart. It doesn't mean one is above the other, it means it's a gift and of reasonable service. God has given me the opportunity to give this gift to the body on the Sunday morning. Now, some of you might think, well, man, he sure placed you up high. No, that go back to First Corinthians 12 that we're all part of the same body, and there's many parts. And though there's many parts, we can't say that one part is above another. Even though one might be less seen than another, we still have to honor everyone. God's very intent that whatever you're gifting is, that you use it to its full capacity, even if it's not the primary gift that's seen, or maybe it's not the primary gift that's elevated in our culture and in our status. So why don't we operate in the gifts in our everyday life? Mostly because some of us don't know what the gifts are that God's given us or the placement that he's given us, but also because many times we're just afraid. We're afraid to step out and do what God's called us to do. We're afraid to step out and exercise the gift that God's put in our life. Do you think it's important for Christians to get along with one another? Do we believe in Christian unity? Well, I hope you say yes. And I'm assuming that You believe that we should come together under the bound of oneness, that we should have mutual and common love for one another. We shouldn't criticize one another, that there should be life and vitality in God's church. Paul literally says that he hopes that we would experience this unity of faith in Ephesians chapter four and verse 13a. You don't have to turn there, but basically he says that we have to have these spiritual gifts, these placements of the gifts, people gifted of God, knowing their placement in the body so that we can have full unity in the faith. You have to ask the question again, do you believe that it's important that Christian believers are equipped, spiritually equipped in their everyday life? And if you answered yes, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that the spiritual gifts are very important to do the work and fulfill the service of the church that we are all called to be in unity together, that we are called as a family of believers to know our placement so that we can be in full functioning unity together so that when the ship is moving forward that we all have a job to do and in doing our job, we are fulfilling the service of the church. Listen, pastors, hopefully, if you've ever been to another church, I can only speak for myself. But if you've ever been to another church, I hope that the pastor leading the congregation got up in front of the church and preached because it was his reasonable service to the congregation, not because he was trying to fulfill some kind of codependent annex that many pastors fall into. And I'll be honest, it's easy. Man, it's, I want you to want me. Remember that song? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Some pastors get that way, man. And it's easy to do, to break down what the church is supposed to be to a a finite and very direct relationship from pastor to congregation rather than it being an expression of God's love throughout our community that every one of us has a part to play. And in playing our part, we move the ship that is God's kingdom forward. We move this church thing forward and we affect change in our community. I have advice, a little bit of advice this morning for those of you who might be reluctant to exercise the gift that God's given you. You know, some of you, God has gifted you, and we'll go through the gifts later in really specific, draw out the nuance, nuances of what they are. We won't do that today, but we'll do that later in the series. But maybe God's gifted you and placed you, and he's put a burden on your heart to do something for the kingdom, and, and you're afraid to do it. You're afraid to step out. First of all, it seems incredibly arrogant to say, God might have gifted me to be an apostle. It's not arrogant. If you know what the word means, it's not arrogant. It's a sent one who sends others. You are someone of an entrepreneur nature who just can't help but think of new things and new projects and new ideas and new ways of doing business and new ways of creating church models in order to affect the kingdom of God at large. It's not a negative. The church needs that. You might be called to be a prophet or a prophetic voice in the church. The Bible says that means you're an encourager. You're to lift up the church body and encourage those around you to spread a word of encouragement that God will give through your heart and through your mouth to specific people so that they don't feel down in the dumps, so that they don't feel like their life doesn't mean anything, so that they can get out of the rut that they're in. See, it doesn't mean that it puts you on a pedestal when you have a title. And it doesn't mean you wear a badge that says, Bob Smith, prophet. Bob Smith, apostle. That's just to get recognition. But if you operate in it, if you actually work in what God's called you to be and to do, man, it makes all the difference. There's some individuals in this church who literally make it their charge that when we call them and they pray, they pray nonstop. I mean, these these people are prayer warriors, as you would call them. They are ready to pray at at the drop of a hat. Man, you give them a scenario, they're going to go to the throne with that request. Not one of them has come and said, Pastor, I need a name tag, maybe even a T-shirt that says Susie Smith, prayer warrior, in big gold glittery letters on the back. First of all, I think pretty much everyone knows in this church, I'd say, uh, no. And second of all, that's crazy. Listen, if you, need to be point, if, if, if you need to point out your gift to show that you have somehow arrived on a spiritual level, you don't understand what the gifts are. So before you're afraid to step out in your gift, let's calm our nerves for a second. Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13, these are the words of Jesus it says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if your son asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a very interesting quote of Jesus break this down a little bit, do some exegesis. What does he say? He says, listen, you are evil people by nature and by heart. You you really don't have it together. You're not as as on the level as God is, as the son of God, as Christ is. You're not as perfect and as pure as heart as Jesus is, yet you know that if one of your earthly sons came to you and said, daddy, I'd really like to have a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a scorpion. If your son came to you and asked you for something of sustenance, if your child came and asked you for something of their benefit, you wouldn't give them something to harm them. And then he qualifies his statement. And he says, how much more would your heavenly father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is where it breaks down the fear language in our life regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't something that are contrary to the will of God. They're not something that are contrary to the personhood of God. They're not something that stopped and that we're hoping will maybe continue again in heaven. They're not something that have gone away because God's voice is no longer being shared except through the reading of Scripture. No, we know that God is continually speaking, and because he's continually speaking, the gifts are in full operation to one degree or another. And Jesus himself says, if you are looking, if you are asking, God will give you that Holy Spirit as a good father. You know the right thing to do for your sons, for your daughters. When they ask of something of substance that will help and aid and perpetuate life, you don't withhold it. And in fact, not only do you not withhold it, you don't give them something negative. You give them something of value. So how much more will your Father in heaven, when you ask, give you the Holy Spirit? What he's saying is twofold. The Holy Spirit is what you need for sustenance. It's, the Holy Spirit is the person that you need to drive your life forward. That you can't, in and of your own power, make it that next step. That's Okay. Every time you want, you feel your body falling short. Every time you feel your will falling short. Every time you feel the stress of life and it literally cripples you and you can't move forward, that's okay. There's a power in the Holy Spirit that moves you forward. There's a power in being endued with the presence of God and the gifts that he's given you that will move you forward. And Jesus is saying through his analogy that I know what you need, and if you'll ask, I'll give him to you. If you'll ask, I'll give you the the sustaining power for your future. And I think a lot of folks have drawn some crazy conclusions when it comes to the idea of the Holy Spirit, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the positioning of the Holy Spirit, how he would place us in his church. First thing I think many of us think is we're gonna lose control. I'm about to lose control and not think I thank God. no wrong, wrong song. I got all these like 70s, 80s songs in my head today, whatever. <laughs> You're not gonna lose control. Some of us are just reluctant because we've heard the idea that as the Spirit prompts, the Spirit's will is expressed, and as the Spirit's will is expressed, I have to diminish, and in diminishing, I might do something that I'm not comfortable with. I might say something embarrassing or foolish, maybe even irreverent. The fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit is the personhood of God, and he knows exactly what to do for the given situation. Listen, he's not going to bring you into a place where he's going to try on purpose to embarrass you. You might be uncomfortable, but that's not the same thing as embarrassment. There are many times the Holy Spirit has challenged me to do something. I thought, oh, dear Jesus, I am so uncomfortable. I want the devil is a liar. And he rebuked me and said, no, it ain't the devil. That's the Holy Ghost. I was in Ireland, and I was a young punk kid, 17 years old, went on a missions trip. Got uh, Side story, I got lost in, in a hostel That's not a good thing when you don't know anybody, don't understand how international phone numbers work. It was bad. Anyway, finally they found me, so I was okay. But I was at this church, and we were praying, and the pastor of the church, had had, uh, he was Irish, and his wife was uh, from the U.S. and, and had trained many, many years to be missionaries in Ireland. Tough country, very agnostic country, very atheist country. Hard to preach the gospel. People aren't receptive at all. And we're sitting there, and we're praying, and we're believing God for people to come and to be a part of this youth seminar that they were doing, and this, this youth revival they were putting on. And God told me, and I, and I remember this at 17, to tell the pastor of the church that he needs to let go of his fear of money, and that it all be okay. And I thought, ain't no way. Hell, I'm doing that. <laughs> ain't nothing going to happen. That's not a cuss word. That's a location. Just, Jeez. I saw some of you look at me like, did he just say what I thought he said? That's a location. Anyway, there ain't nothing in this world going to get me to do that. And, and, and sure enough, God kept prompting me. And I went to the pastor. My knees are knocking, man. I'm shaking in my boots, man. Everything about it is shaking. I said, I really think God spoke to me. And if he didn't, you know, you can tell me and you can rebuke me and tell me how wrong I am. And I'm apologizing before I'm about to give these words. And the pastor said, no, you know what? We had a financial defi- uh, a deficit. And I've been struggling on whether or not to leave the mission field or to continue on with what God called me to do. And this is confirmation that we need to continue on. I thought, oh, God, thank you, Jesus, that I wasn't off on that one because that could have ended my trip pretty quickly. You need to leave, American. You don't know what you're talking about. But God's not going to bring you to a place where you lose so much control that you embarrass yourself. He may stretch you beyond what you are comfortable with, that's a good thing. That's called growth. Anyone that's ever built muscle under a weight bench, been under a bench press, you know that in order to grow, they have to add more weight. And as they add more weight, it is uncomfortable, it is tough, it is tense, it is stressful, but it's the only way to grow those muscles. The same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. He might stretch you, but you are not going to be put in a place where you are embarrassed. You don't have to put your brain on ice. The Holy Spirit doesn't apprehend you and shut your brain off. The gifts of God, the positioning of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit in our life does not shut your brain off. He doesn't tell you to stop thinking, praying and singing even in tongues. It's a heavenly language. It doesn't mean that your brain just automatically shuts off. It doesn't mean that because you don't really understand the words coming out of your mouth, that God just shuts you down and you're some kind of robot. It does mean that you are in tune with the person of the Holy Spirit. It does mean that you are hearing his voice, being sensitive to his leading, understanding his motivation, and that causes you a want to to express what he's putting in your life. You don't have to prime the pump. Listen, if you're going to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to pray 14 hours and then he'll finally show up. You don't have to douse yourself with anointing oil and say, okay, God, I'm finally ready. Get you all greased up like a greased up pig, man. You don't have to do nothing like that. The fact is the prime the pump idea comes from an old storied history in charismatic theology. It comes from an old storied history and in, in actually it, it, it references slave trade, and we'll get into that later as well. You don't have to prime the pump for God to show up. God shows up. He's always there. In Acts 2, verse 4, it said, it is the Spirit who gives utterance. It's the Spirit who prompts. He's there waiting, willing, ready to prompt you to action, to prompt you to speak, to prompt you and motivate you into your gift. You don't have to do anything to prove your worthiness. The last thing I would say is to preserve in prayer when Paul exhort, he, he gives us an admonishment to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He intends us to ask God for what is our heart's desire. If you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you can go to the bottom. And I forget what a, a specific verse it is. Uh, I think it's 31, 30 and 31. And he divides the two. And he says to earnestly seek the gifts, even the greater gifts. We said last week this, this word earnest. Is a word we don't have in English, but they have a a word in, in Japanese that's very similar. It's otaku, that you would become crazed for the gift, that you would become impassioned for the gift, emboldened for the gift, that it would consume you, it would become part of your lifestyle, that you go after it. We need to learn to preserve in prayer what is God's definitive end for our life. If He's called you to be an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, if he's called you and he's gifted you with healing or with faith or with a word of knowledge, you need to be impassioned, emboldened to go after it and to keep asking. There is a point that comes in our everyday life as a Christian where we're not experiencing what another brother or sister is. And some of you, depending on your theological background, uh, have heard of John Piper before. And John Piper gives an excellent, an excellent idea on this on this topic where he believes that God has not gifted him to speak in tongues, and so he has never spoken in tongues, yet he's experienced many of the other gifts of the Spirit. But what he does say is, just because I haven't experienced the gift of tongues doesn't mean that I don't search for it. That every day he wakes up and asks God, God, my brother, my sister is experiencing this gift. I would love to experience it. He understands the sovereignty of God, that it's at the distribution of the will of God, and he waits patiently. I don't understand what the hang-up is with John. I'm not going to judge him. I don't know what it is, particularly for his life. Maybe it's him personally. Maybe it's something God is doing. Maybe it's just timing. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to judge that, but what I understand through Scripture is that he's doing something of scriptural merit when he says, God, every day I pursue the gift. Every day what I haven't seen in my life, I pursue it with veracity. I ask God for it every single day of my life. God, can I have that gift? We need to come to a place in prayer where regardless of what we've experienced in the past, that we're expecting new things from God. If This is the first time you've heard that God will endow you with a spiritual gift, a gift of faith, a gift of healing, a gift of wisdom, a word of wisdom, a discerning of spirits, a gift of knowledge, of tongues, of interpretation of tongues. Whichever the gifts that you've heard of, maybe it's the first time and you're not aware, you don't understand how they work. It's our job to preserve ourselves in prayer, to go after the gift, to beg God and say, help me experience what others are experiencing. Next, I want to dive down into this idea of what, so what is my gift? Come on, pastor, you got all the answers. Aren't you supposed to be like Oprah and stand us up in front of the church? You get a gift, and you get a gift, and you get a gift. I wish that's how it worked. Good Lord, I wish I could stand everyone up and read your mail and tell you exactly the plan and purpose for God. And wouldn't it make life so much simpler? Wouldn't it make it so much easier if I could just stand you up here and close my eyes and put three fingers on your forehead and a hand on your belly and the Holy Spirit would come in and we would just know your God-given future? You know he doesn't do that? You know he almost never does that? You know what he does do? It. People go, I don't like that. Every time he prophesied, to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they went, huh, exile? No. And I think for some of us, if we knew our our life's future, there are things about it that we would look to God and go, you have to be crazy. I don't want to go through that. And he would tell you, It will make you into who I want you to be. And I will gift you with all of the authority, with all of the giftings, with all the motivation, with the Spirit's power to get through any obstacle that's in your way, if you'll just trust me. So what is my gift? Well, I can't tell you specifically. I do know this, that if we'll listen, if we'll listen, if we'll calm our hearts and listen to the still small Spirit that is the voice of God, that he'll speak to us that if we'll learn the pattern that we see in 1 Corinthians, the body of Christ and how how it's set up and how it's laid out, the motivation of love that's sandwiched in the middle and the church at worship, if we'll learn and study those three chapters, we will find a very high likelihood that we will run headlong into the gift that's ours. None of this sounds particularly spectacular. None of this sounds particularly fun. In fact, most of this sounds like work. You know that everything in Scripture that God calls us to, every promise of God in Scripture, other than salvation, has a level of work to it, and even salvation does? Not works-based mentality, I do this, and therefore God gives me that, but a working concept in that my flesh seems to always want to say the antithesis of what God is doing. And so I have to subdue my flesh and tell myself, no, I've got to trust God. Even in salvation, which is a free gift that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, many of us at times question whether or not we're saved. And the work comes in in our ability to recognize that it's a free gift, to convince our heart that it's a free gift, to convince ourselves that we are not bad enough, that we are not broken enough, that we are not diminished enough, that we can't receive salvation that we come to him in full faith knowing that regardless of where we're at in life or regardless of where we have been or where we're going, that the salvation that comes by way of the cross is ours today, tomorrow, and forever. And it never changes. There's a lot of work to that. In the same respect, there's a ton of work that goes into believing I have a gift of faith. Because guess what the gift of faith says? You're gonna have an opportunity to exercise faith. And most of us go, what? What? what does that mean, Jesus? That means you're going to have an opportunity to exercise faith. Wait a minute, you're giving me the gift of prophecy. Yeah, that means you're probably going to feel other people's emotions, feel how down they are, even your own, to an, ex- to an accelerated extent so that you can feel the voice of the Spirit speak to you positivity. You can feel the voice of the Spirit speak to you encouragement. And most of us would say, I don't know that I want to see that. And the work is to calm our mind so that the work of God, so that the, so that the spirit of God can have his full, his full uh, uh, operation in our life. Let me read this. Uh, a particular author said this, who, who I'll mention later. He said, if we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gift or gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we will walk headlong into our gift, whatever, whatever, however that happens, that we would walk headlong into our gift without ever knowing that it even happened. We come to a place in Christ Jesus that we give of ourselves so much that eventually, bam, we're operating, we're working, we're living in our gift. You know how this worked for me It wasn't like one day I just woke up and God deposited in me 14 years of Bible knowledge of studying Scripture. I just woke up one day with it all deposited in my heart and my head, and I was in front of a group of people and speaking the Word of God. It didn't happen like that. It started when I was in college and I was learning the tools of how to exegete the Scripture, and I was taking those tools to a classroom of snotty-nosed fourth-graders and speaking to them every Sunday about the Bible lesson that was in front of them. I didn't want to do that, but it was part of my development. Later on, we were able to work with some wonderful ministries throughout the country, and at one point, I was leading kids' church, much like Rebecca does, literally dressing up in outfits every single Sunday, cowboy outfit, astronaut, superhero, whatever, just so I could get across to the children the principles of the word of God. It helped develop a teaching gift. See, sometimes we look at the gift of God and we want to be on the platform or the podium. God gifts us with healing and all of a sudden we think we're going to be a televangelist like Benny Hinn and we're going to throw our coat on somebody and the bodies are going to hit the floor. The fact is, most of the time God has to work up in our lives the opportunity the opportunity to actually develop the gift that's in you. That's why if you work, if you volunteer, if you exhort, if you teach, if you give of your time, your talent, your treasure, eventually you're going to run headlong into the gift that God's deposited in your heart. Wonderful pastor that we had the opportunity to serve under used to say it like this. There are many folks that are believing God for a seven-tiered wedding cake, yet they've never believed God for a donut. And sometimes we've got to come to that place where we're actively saying, God, I may need that seven-tiered wedding cake someday, but right now I understand my faith, my action level, the level at which I'm activated in the gifts that you've given me is at the level of a donut. Help me find that donut first. We've got to learn to come to a place in Christ where we are comfortable with where we are at. It doesn't mean you're going to stay that way, and it doesn't mean you're diminished in your role in the church. As we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, halfway through the chapter, that we are all part of one body, that we are all coming together, that how can one part of the body say that it doesn't need the other part of the body? We're not diminishing each other based on our effectiveness in the body. We're here to work together in tandem so that we can accomplish the goal of the kingdom. 1 Timothy chapter one and verse six, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. This verse in Timothy is very important. It tells us that one may receive a spiritual gift only to neglect it and to ignore it. Many of you at salvation were given a gift. You know the Spirit of God impressed on your heart, impressed on your mind, impressed on your soul, a gift. You felt it, couldn't get away from it. Some of you had this insatiable desire to study God's Word. Some of you were given you were given this like, insight into people's, into people's lives. You could discern the spirit of the human person, and you could discern the spirit around them. We have folks every day claim they can discern spirits. They see the aura, or they read your tarot. This is a way for people to to mimic the gift, and maybe even a, a God-given gift that God has put in their life, but they're using it improperly. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, Kindle afresh, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's talking to his young apprentice. He says, I came to you once, and I laid hands on you. And in that moment, a gift was inspired. It was sparked in your heart. But you've let it dwindle. You've let it diminish. You've let it grow cold. And in letting it grow cold, I'm challenging you. Spark that fire afresh. Stoke the embers of your heart so the gift, the gift of God that's resonant on the inside of you, that it can now have its proper place. Every week, we have a new Monday, a new Tuesday, a new Wednesday. Every week, we have new opportunities. Every day, every 24 hours, we have new opportunities to restoke what God is doing in our life to restoke the gift that he's put in our heart. Every day we have an opportunity to refire what God has placed in us. The question is whether or not we'll take it. Take whatever steps you have to take to restoke the fire. Study the word of God. Study the gift. Study the impulse that's in you. Maybe you don't even understand how it correlates to Scripture. Study the impulse. Maybe you have in your heart a, an inspiration to serve to be a hospitable person. That's a gift of God to serve people. That's a gift of God to serve those around you. Maybe you need to study what that looks like in your everyday life. Pray, seek God's face, and then put it into practice. Learn to study out what God has deposited in your heart. Pray, see God's face, and put it into practice. But by all means, stoke that fire. By every means necessary, stoke the fire. Don't let those embers grow cold. Now we're all aware that throughout the Quad Cities, there are train tracks everywhere. At one point in time, the Quad Cities, (coughs) excuse me, was a great hub uh, for the, the railroad industry. In fact, some of you probably have grandparents, maybe even some of you work on the railroads. My grandfather was a train engineer for many, many years. We didn't always used to have signals, you know, those signal lights that you see outside of a train track, those lights that tell you not to cross because a train is coming, and eventually that arm comes down. And if you're in a rural area, they don't even have the arm uh, that comes down to barricade or block the tracks. They just have that signal light that blinks on and off. Well, at one point in time in this country, they didn't have electricity, but they had the railroad. And in having the railroad, they had to have a way to tell people in cars and in buggies not to cross the railroad tracks when a train was coming. So there was a signalman who used to stand there with a lamp. And on the lamp, and you could even buy these lamps in some antique shops. I think Jim and Judy had one at one time. They used to take these lamps and click the signal light on and off. There was a fire inside that lamp that was lit. And they would take the lamp and hold it up about head high, and they would click on and off The lamp, this shade would come up and it would come down. A shade would come up and it would come down, blocking the view of the lamp. It would tell those who were about to cross the railroad track that a train is coming. On a particular evening, a very snowy, wintry evening, a family is just driving home from their daily activities. They come up to a railroad crossing. They don't see the train coming. They proceed to cross the tracks, and at that moment, their car was smashed by the locomotive. Everyone in the vehicle passed, except for one. There was a lawsuit that ensued afterwards. A great lawyer, even, he's actually from the Midwest, decided to sue the railroad company on behalf of the family and the child that was left. In suing the family, they put the switchman up on the stand. And he said, I had my lamp I was waving it frantically. I saw the car coming. I was doing my duty to flip that switch to show them that there was a train coming. I was waving my lamp. Don't you understand? I did everything I knew to do. This very skillful lawyer looked at the switchman and said, Sir, I am am confident. You did everything within your power to signal to those people that they shouldn't cross. You waved your lamp. You flipped your signal. You did everything you could to signal that they should not cross those tracks. However, sir, did you ever check to think was your light out? For most of us, the gift of God that's been given to us, we march through our Christian life. We do the right things. We do what God's called us to. Come to church, we serve. We serve in the area that he's called us to serve. We pay our tithe. We volunteer. Yet the the effect that we expect this to have isn't happening. The effect that God promised it would have because of our involvement in the place that he's put us, in the gift things that he's given us, is not transpiring. We are waving our lamp frantically. Nothing seems to be happening. The car doesn't seem to be slowing. We run head-on into an accident in life. We get crushed at a crossroads. We look to God and we say, God, I did it all right. I did everything the way I was supposed to. He's looking down just like this lawyer. Where was your fire? Had your fire gone out? Had it been extinguished? The reality of the gifts of the Spirit, we can operate in them all day, every day. We can be like the Corinthian church. We can be so fanatical with the gifts of the spirit that we are known amongst the community that the gifts are in operation. They're in operation every day through every member. But we can be so passive that our fire's gone out. It's just religion for religion's sake. And it diminishes the effectiveness of the gift. You want to know how your gift is being diminished? if nobody new is asking you to express it in their life, if no one new to you and new to your circle of influence and your sphere of influence is asking you to express that gift because they see the seed of the promise of God in you for what he's deposited in your heart, if that is not happening, you're, you need to check your fire. Is it out? Are you passionate about what God is doing in your life? Are you passionate about the gift that he's given you? Are you passionate honest to God, passionate about the gift? How do you have that otaku mentality? Do you desire earnestly those gifts? When you do, that fire will be stoked again. When you do, that fire will bring a bright light. When you do, you will be able to signal to the world the message that God has given you. This morning, it might be difficult to think of your life in these terms, that God has gifted you, that he's placed you in the body, he's given you a purpose for being that in placing you and gifting you, that he wants to stoke a fire in your heart to go after what he's called you to with veracity, with vibrance, passion. Listen, that's the only way to really live this Christian life. Why live it passively? Living Christian life passively a results to religion, a dead religion, a religion of works, a religion that people get fed up with that never really works out. But passion changes lives. Passion is what fueled the early church that even through martyrdom, they marched on with the message of the gospel. Passion is what fueled every single revival that this country has ever seen. Because passion, true God-given passion, is the only thing that's really a motivator in our heart and our life. For many of us, the reason we don't have passion, we don't have tools. It's going to be a book list that comes up on the screen here. These are some resources. You can take a picture of it. You can you can find it later. You can write down some books. These are some books from some very thought-out men. Some of them are on a complete, completely opposite theological spectrums. I can recommend these books in full faith because their goal is to help us examine the gifts of the Spirit for our everyday life, to help us examine the powerful nature of the gift of the Spirit of God in us so that we can have that fervent passion to see it operate in every single one of us every day of the world. I would encourage you to go through that list. The first one is Breaking the The Power of Natural Law. The second one, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gift. The third is one of my favorite books of all time, The Beauty of Spiritual Language. If you've never read anything by Jack Hayford, I think Jack Hayford's in his 90s now. Oh my gosh, you need to read it. The man is a genius. Showing the Spirit by D.A. Carson. My goodness, it's a beautiful book. God's empowering presence, oh, and one that's not up there, because it's it's I think it's out of print, He Who Gives Gifts. These are beautiful written works from men who had a passion to show the world this is how the Spirit operates. This is what the Spirit of God, God does in us and through us. At some point, you need to become so emboldened and so passionate that you pick up one of them. Just pick up any one of them. Grab one on the list. Read it. Get the audio version, listen to it. Go find a YouTube clip of the book somewhere and listen and watch. It will affect your life. How do you keep the fire burning? How do you keep the passion blazing? Ingest material, ingest content. Get in your heart the word of God first. Then get in your heart those who have a passion for the field of study, for the particular issue that you're facing. Get it into you so that it comes out of you. In fact, the Bible teaches us that whatever's in us eventually comes out. That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Eventually, you're going to speak where your passion point is. Eventually, you're going to speak what is in your fire, what is stoking your passion. I am encouraged, and I hope to God that it continues, that more and more of you are impassioned by the will of the Holy Spirit, that you start to speak it, that it becomes reflexive, That when you're caught in tense situations, when you're caught in tense moments, that the thing that comes out, the pinnacle words that come out of your mouth are, this is what God showed me. This is where God's leading me. This is the draw of my heart. might be different than your brother or sister. That's okay. The point is that God is leading you with passion, purpose, and desire. It'll make all the difference. This morning, sometimes I I think these messages are kind of hard to hear. not because we don't want to hear them, but because it requires action steps. Sometimes action steps are action steps are scary. If you need to take an action step today, let me encourage you, pray a prayer. God, my heart's open. Whatever you want to do, Lord, my heart is open. The next couple of weeks we're going to drill down in these gifts and these placements that God sets in First Corinthians. we're going to drill we're going to drill down very specifically. but before we do that, your heart has to be open because god could speak to you god could show to you and reveal to you the purpose the position the gift that he has for your life and if your heart's not open you won't receive it before that happens you need to just open yourself up god I'm ready first pray a prayer the second thing you can do is start to analyze god what am i drawn to am i drawn to stories of healing Am I drawn to stories of wisdom and knowledge discerning of spirits? God, am I drawn to that pulpit like that weird guy does in that suit jacket? Am I drawn to that? God, am I I drawn to pray? Am I drawn to my knees that when I hear of someone's story, God, I just want to pray for them? Am I drawn to feel their emotional distress, God? What do I do with that? Start to investigate. How How has he wired you? I promise you he'll answer. I promise you, he will start to show you and leave breadcrumbs of where he's leading you. Still work to be done. You've still got to investigate. But in doing the work that God's called you to, he will lead you to his given end, the passion point for your life. The gifts of the spirit, they're not supposed to be spooky or crazy or oddball. The gifts of the spirit are to be everyday access to us, that we reach into our everyday lives and express these gifts with everything that we have in us. This morning, I want to encourage you, be those whose lamp is lit, not those who are doing all the religious work, yet your lamp has gone dim and died out. Be those who have a signal and a voice to carry so that the world around you actually sees the message that Jesus is giving through you. You'll do that. You'll do that to a greater degree as you understand where he's placed you and the gift he's given you.